So we are in Mark um, chapter 1, verses 21 through 45, and then our teaching and reading today are out of the message version. Then they entered Capernaum. When the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place. He spent the day there teaching. They were surprised at his teaching, so forthright, so confident, not quibbling and quoting like the religion scholars. Suddenly, while still in the meeting place, he was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed and yelling out, What business do you have here with us, Jesus? Nazarene, I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. Jesus shut him up. Quiet, get out of him. The afflicting spirit threw the man into spasms, protesting loudly, and got out. Everyone there was incredulous, buzzing with curiosity. What's going on here? A new teaching that does what it says? He shuts up defiling demonic spirits and sends them packing. News of this traveled fast and was soon all over Galilee. Directly on leaving the meeting place, they came to Simon and Andrew's house, accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed, burning up with fever. They told Jesus. He went to her, took her hand, and raised her up. No sooner had the fever left than she was up fixing dinner for them. That evening, after the sun was down, they brought sick and evil-afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. He cured their sick bodies and tormented spirits. Because the demons knew his true identity, he didn't let them say a word. While it was still night, way before dawn, he got up and went out to a secluded spot and prayed. Simon and those with him went looking for him. They found him and said, Everybody's looking for you. Jesus said, Let's go to the rest of the villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. He went to their meeting places all through Galilee, preaching and throwing out the demons. A leper came to him, begging on his knees, If you want to, you can cleanse me. Deeply moved, Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to. Be clean. Then and there the leprosy was gone, his skin smooth and healthy. Jesus dismissed him with strict orders, saying nothing to anyone, Take the offering for cleansing that Moses prescribed and present yourself to the priest. This will validate your healing to the people. But as soon as the man was out of earshot, he told everyone he met what had happened, spreading the news all over town. So Jesus kept to out-of-the-way places, no longer able to move freely in and out of the city. But people found him and came from all over. This is God's word. You may be seated. You know, I'm realizing something about aging here. For a long time, you know, this, as my eyes changed, this had to get farther and farther away for me to see it. Now, with the continual adjustments of the glasses, now it has to get closer and closer for me to see it. Uh, so the message this morning is don't get old if you can help it. But you can't help it, so here we are. Come as we are. Um, I'm kind of smiling to myself over in my seat there, uh, having the announcement that I'm uh, kicking off the men's ministry on Monday night, sharing, and uh, puts a little bit of pressure on this morning, because if this isn't good, then Ryan, nobody will come <laughs> a week from Monday. Uh, so thanks for that, Robert. Thanks for throwing that in there. 
no. Um, it, it's it's such a pleasure to stand up, uh, be here with my family, you, each of you, uh, to think about God's word together, to share it with each other. Uh, I am finding myself wishing that I could see you, so maybe somebody back there could put some lights on out there so that I could actually see who I'm talking to. I would appreciate that. Uh, and if, as if you weren't getting enough of me, I'm going to start with saying uh, really a personal invitation. Would you come next Sunday and meet our daughter-in-law, one of three daughters-in-law that we have. Uh, Her name is Rachel, married to our son Nick, uh, and she works for what I find a fascinating project called the Jesus Film Project. They go all over the world. They take a movie uh, that is really the Gospel of Luke, one of the Gospels, much like Mark, that we're looking at, and it's been filmed, and Rachel's job is to go to various places in the world where there are remain people who have never heard this story. Uh, We're going to talk about the story this morning. Many of us will find it familiar uh, in our context. They're going where there's no context for that. And Rachel, as a sound engineer, is recording voice actors in a new language and then synchronizing that with the movie so that people can watch and, and participate in the story of Jesus in their own languages. So, if it's not asking too much and not to be taken as a shameless advertisement, but Joan and I would love for you to come and meet our daughter-in-law next week and hear the story of what she has to share. Let's let us take that. Let's, I'll start over. It's, it's still just a little after 10. Let's let that take us into our own story of Jesus this morning as we ponder this. We've been talking about, uh, as we've entered into the Gospel of Mark, we've been talking about what it is to be a disciple, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. What is it to to be taught and directed and guided by Jesus? And some things have stood out. To us, in fact, we have begun to realize, I hope you've begun to realize, I've certainly been rethinking it, uh, it and writing about it in my own journal as I'm listening to the messages, that it breaks down something like this. It has to do, discipleship has to do with being with Jesus, just being with him. Uh, now, how many of you know Jesus' address? Is he in Santa Rosa? Is he in Windsor? Is he in Healdsburg? Uh, Cloverdale? Uh, God forbid he's up in Lake County, where I come from. Uh, you know, where is Jesus? Where are we going to locate him? In order to be with him, we've got to engage with these stories 
these true stories that uh, in which we are told this is what Jesus was like. We've got to be with him. As we are with him, we begin to become like him. Transformation begins. If you hang around with somebody long enough, you're going to start acting like they are. Um, you know, having been married for how many years now? Oh, I'm in trouble. 37? <laughs> uh, four, uh, anyway, uh, 37, 38 years. Sometimes people will claim, oh, you two even begin to look like each other. Um, thankfully, Joan doesn't have facial hair, and I'm not five feet tall. But if you spend time with someone, you're going to become little by little more like them, especially if the time you spend is significant, not just as an outsider, but participating. And so we want to be with him. Little by little, we become like him. And then as the days progress, we start to do what he does. That's my own summary of what we've seen of the relationship, of, of what it is to be in a discipleship relationship with Jesus. It's really that we watch him and we imitate him and we assimilate it and we take all that in and then we, we take that raw material of the life of Jesus and we recreate it into our own experience day to day with the people we meet, the places we go. But what I want you to hear and what, what I need to hear this morning as we enter into this is we can't just look at Jesus' behaviors and merely copy them. Okay, um, if, if you put on you know, a long white robe and start wandering around in sandals and uh, you crash the nearest Jewish synagogue and start speaking up, um, it's not going to work. You see, it's not a mere imitation. It's a taking it to heart and then making it my own and living it out from that place. Learn Jesus' heart, not just his behaviors. And let's help each other do that. So think about these stories. Um, if, if this is what discipleship is, being with him, becoming like him, doing what he does, making it my own, then, then this can't be to us just a book like my college cellular biology textbook. Um, first of all, I have about this much memory of cellular biology. thought I wanted to be a doctor at that time. As soon as I took organic chemistry, that took that thought out of my mind. Uh, drop the class as fast as I could. But it can't be just like a textbook to us where, where we just take in the information, get it kind of fixed in mind. There's going to be a test. You're ready to show how well you've got it on the test. Um, 
you're, you're, you can show your recall of it. You know, someone can start a quote and you can finish it. It can't just be like a textbook for us, nor can it be <laughs> something like, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm working on, on getting my license as a clinical counselor here in California because California didn't like my Florida license and made me start over. And uh, well, not entirely over, uh, seems like it. Uh, so suddenly I'm not qualified anymore, I guess, when I move back to my home state. Uh, I guess Jesus himself said, you know, a prophet isn't accepted in his hometown, so I suppose a mere therapist, you know, can't be accepted in his home state. Uh, but this can't be for us a book like the the legal codes to become a licensed professional clinical counselor, that, that this is a, a list of rules, and, and so my behavior will be just checked off. Does it, am I doing it by the book? It's not that kind of book for us. It needs to be much more, I think, like a favorite childhood book or movie. Um, how many of you have children? How many of you were once children? Okay. How many of you aren't sure how you got here, where you came from? Some of us have that too, all right? But if you'll imagine with me a small child, a young child, and, and, and you're still in that stage where life is fascinating, you're trying to learn all kinds of new things. If you don't know what something is, you stick it in your mouth to try to figure out what it is. But you've learned to read, or your parents are reading to you, and you have a favorite book, and you go back to it, or a favorite movie, and you go back to it again and again and again, and again, until your parents are like, I'm not watching this again, and, and again. It, it's the story that, where I have a picture in my mind of how each character looks. I know what they sound like. I can close my eyes and imagine... I can feel myself in that world, breathing and seeing and walking and living. That's what this book invites us to. This is what it is to be a disciple. It says, come, live in this story. Make it your own story. And then take those stories from back then and there, and bring them yourself into the here and now experience for yourself today. Does that make sense to you? If we read the Bible that way, and we take it in that way, and we let ourselves be engulfed in the story... And so I asked uh, this week that the, the text up on the screen and the reading be from the message, just so we heard it in different words that make us sense it a little bit more. And so I'm going to take a couple of minutes here, 
And we are going to reread the story. I'll read it for you once again. So are you ready for story time? Uh, go to your public library, pull up a little chair. Um, you can close your eyes and imagine along. You can keep your eyes open. But like, what I would love for you to do is right now as I reread the story, put your five senses into it. See Jesus' face and posture. Hear his words and his tone of voice. Feel his gestures and his touch. Taste the food at the meal you eat together. Smell the air around him in the unhurried outdoors and in the sweaty, pressing crowd. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's hear the story again together. Told you it was story time. Then they entered Capernaum, and when the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place. He spent the day there teaching, and they were surprised at his teaching. So forthright and so confident, not quibbling and quoting like the religion scholars did. And suddenly, while still in the meeting place, he was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed and yelling out, What business do you have here with us, Jesus? You, Nazarene, I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. And Jesus said to him, Quiet! Get out of him! And the afflicting spirit threw the man into spasms, protesting loudly, and got out. Everyone there was incredulous, buzzing with curiosity. What's going on here? A new teaching that actually does what it says? This man shuts up defiling demonic spirit, demonic spirits and sends them packing. The news of this traveled fast and was soon all over the region of Galilee. Directly on leaving the meeting place, they came to Simon and Andrew's house. They were accompanied by another set of brothers, James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed. She was burning up with fever. They told Jesus, and he went to her, and he took her hand, and he raised her up. No sooner had the fever left her than she was up happy to fix dinner for them and serve them. That evening, after the sun went down, they brought sick 
and evil afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. He cured their sick bodies. He cured their tormented spirits. And because the demons knew his true identity, he didn't let them say a word. While it was still night, way before dawn, he got up and he went to a secluded spot and he prayed. Simon and the others with him went looking for him. They found him and said, what are you doing here? Everybody's looking for you. Jesus said, okay, come on, let's go to the rest of the villages so I can preach there also. That's what I've come for. And so he went to the meeting places all through the Galilee region, preaching and throwing out the demons. A leper came to him, begging on his knees, and Jesus, if you want to, you could cleanse me. And deeply moved, Jesus put out his hand, and he touched him. Shocking. And he said, I want to be clean. Then and there, the leprosy was gone. His skin became smooth and healthy. Jesus dismissed him with orders. Say nothing to anyone yet. Take the offering for the cleansing that Moses prescribed Present yourself to the priest, and this will validate your healing to the people. The man was a little overexcited. I threw that in. The man was a little overexcited, and so as soon as he was out of earshot, he told everyone he met what had happened, spreading the news all over town. And so Jesus kept to out-of-the-way places, because he was no longer able to move freely in and out of the city. But no matter where he went, people found him and came to him from all over the place. To be continued. You see, as we immerse ourselves in the story, then... I think, and only then do we get a chance to pause and watch Jesus here and consider our response. Too many times I have read my Bible and I have rushed quickly to find some expert, some pastor, some commentator, some guru to just please tell me what it means. So I can move on to the next portion. And I'm learning (laughs) ever so slowly and always learning to just read it, slow down, pause, sit down with a few friends, discuss it, ponder it, think about it, and consider what my response could be. Uh, so think about, as, as we've read and reread this story, um, think about, first of all, the kinds of people that Jesus interacts with here. 
what sorts of people did you notice him interacting with? What categories of people were involved in these stories? Okay, if, you, if, if you're interested in me hearing it, you're going to have to speak up. If you're just trying to whisper it to your neighbor, that's okay too. Outcasts. Elderly, older people. <laughs> I told you I was getting old. Demon-possessed, okay? Those people that were tortured by evil spirits. People who are sick. <laughs> In-laws, okay? <laughs> a, I, I thought I had an exhaustive list, and my wife comes up with a new one, Okay. He interacts with the in-laws, not only his, not his in-laws, but the in-laws of friends. Yeah, church people, the religious people, his, his own disciples, which at this point number four disciples, okay, two sets of brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and his brother John, so two sets of brothers, his disciples at this point. You know, he, Jesus is talking to the religious. Uh, he is interacting with the curious crowds. As we mentioned, he's interacting with the sick, the disabled, the deeply disturbed, the demon-tormented, the disciples, and, and we could go on. But, but let's, just, let's just pause for a moment as we're looking at what kind of people Jesus interacts with and, and just come back to verses 40 and 41 with me. Um, so a leper came to him begging on his knees, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Now, Put yourself in story mode again. Use your imagination that God has given you to creatively draw up pictures, sights and sounds and smells in your brain. Use the brain that God has given you. What would it be? Anybody here ever met an actual leper? Hmm. <laughs> You see why we need to spend time with the story and, and share with each other? You, know, you might go to the, that source of all truth, the Wikipedia, <laughs> and read about leprosy. Uh, you might look at some pictures. You might draw it up. But, but look, the, oh, look, here are Char's notes from last week. Oh. I could have saved myself the trouble. Um, think about what it would be like. Um, leprosy, this, this word in, in, here in, as we read it in the Greek New Testament, it, it not only refers to what we technically, medically uh, know as leprosy, but it's all kinds of skin diseases of, of various kinds. But they tended to have these characteristics. Open sores. Um, when I went to work for Sonoma County, we had to take this whole online course and get the certificate in blood-borne pathogens. 
okay? Um, and and we're we're familiar in our culture with uh, what some of those are, but but you've got to picture this man open source. Typically, and I'm only going to put you in this mindset for a moment, but it's part of the story. An oozing sore, so it's not just open, but it's actively oozing. The other characteristic was these are diseases that tend to be uh, wasting diseases, diseases that are killing the skin and the muscle and the cells of the body, okay? And so what we're looking at is sores that result in death of bodily cells, uh, that essentially bring about a state of gangrene. Okay? Um, you may be familiar with what death smells like. Uh, you know, you, you, you're out on the farm, you're driving along the road, and there's roadkill, and you smell that stench of rotting death, this is the man that comes up to Jesus, down on his knees saying, Jesus, you could help me if you want to. Now, how many of you, just being honest, being open, how many of you would say, oh, yeah, I'll look for that kind of person. Like, I want to be close to them. I want to get connected with people with oozing open sores who smell like rotting death. That's what I'm all about. So what are we going to do if refuge continues its good course of making a difference in this community and one day you wander in and you sit down and sitting beside you is a woman or a man with oozing open sores who smells like death. Will you get up and walk away? Because it says here, and remember I said, not just the behaviors, but the heart. That's what we're trying to get. We just don't want to be robotic Jesus imitators. We want to get the the heart, the soul, the motivation, what's coming out of him. And it says in verse 41... Jesus was deeply moved. Now, I'm, I will acknowledge some of your translations, uh, depending on which one you're reading, English translators have trouble with the wording here. There's a slight variation in spelling in some of the Greek manuscripts. There's no essential difference. 
but some of the translators have chosen to go with indignant. Okay, Jesus was indignant, and then you're stuck with a dilemma. What was he indignant about? Um, I would, for whatever the value of any biblical scholarship I have, I would contend that the usage is consistent enough and consistent with the heart of Jesus throughout not only Mark but Matthew and Luke and John, the four Gospels, that what we're looking at here is not an indignant Jesus, but a Jesus that's really stirred up in his guts. Like he feels it here. And he's moved. He's, he's, he's not just moved, he's deeply moved. He's really feeling it. And, and Jesus, look, he's, he's, a really, he's 100% man as well as 100% God. He might be gagging on the stench as part of that. There's a physical response going on, and there's, there's a, an emotional response going on, and there's a thinking response going on, and all of that is part of what it is to be like Jesus. He's deeply moved. And then he decides to do what? The most unheard of thing, by the way, culturally and by Jewish religious law, he has now said, by the, as soon as he puts out his hand and touches the man, Jesus has announced by that action, I am an unclean. Uh, fascinating words throughout this part of the story. What uh, again, depending on which English translation you read, these these spirit beings, these immaterial messengers of Satan who are tormenting people. Um, you'll notice in in some English translations that that I think have it right. These are called unclean spirits. Okay. And Jesus says, I don't care if you think of me as religiously unclean. I don't even care. It's going to come up later in the story of Mark. I don't even care if you misinterpret this and say, well, he must be working with these devil unclean spirits. He reaches out and he touches the man. And he says, I do want to help you be clean. Ponder that story. See it, hear it, feel it, taste it, touch it. Bring it into your life. Watch, watch, watch. Become like him. Assimilate it and put it to work in your own world, whatever that may be. And could we agree, this is tough on an individual basis, but what Jesus is always pushing us is to let's do it together. I can't do it by myself not one of you can do it by yourself but together could we begin to assimilate and implement this in daily life those are the kinds of people Jesus interacts with and we can see them um, 
how about we notice where and when Jesus takes action? Uh, thinking of the story, where, where and when does he act? This is your cue. Where and when? On the street. Do I need to read the story to you again? Okay. At, at, at his, a couple of his disciples, one set of brothers uh, at their house. In the city, uh, outside of the city. So if you wanted to take all that and summarize it, where does Jesus act? Everywhere, thank you. Oh, I said it wasn't a book where we just learned the information and someone tests us on it, and then I just tested you on it. I apologize for that. Uh, Everywhere, all kinds of places, right? I mean, religious gathering places, houses about town in small villages in isolated places. It's like Jesus is just walking through life with his eyes open. Uh, as As a clinical counselor... I meet with people, some who some have actual mental illnesses where their brain is, is creating challenges for them to have a full perception of life. Some, some don't have mental illnesses, uh, but they're struggling in life because, you know, they're navigating life like this. Okay. There's no notice or awareness of what's going on around them. And you know what? I may be the therapist and they may be the client. I am no different. If I don't keep an eye on myself, I will navigate life with a very narrow field of vision. Went to the, let's see, I can say the word ophthalmologist this week, okay? And you, you, how many have been? They put you, you look in this thing, and it's this sort of uh, hemisphere, and the lights are flashing, you know, and you have to click the clicker. Anybody done this? Or is, are they just torturing me for some reason? <laughs> oh, there he is again. Um, we have a special machine for you. And the lights are flying, they're looking at your field of vision and the clicker, and of course I get the appointment first thing in the morning, my eyes are kind of all over the place anyway, click, 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 and sometimes I'm afraid I'll miss one, so I just click, you know, kind of in case, okay, we need a broad field of vision, noticing where and when Jesus acts. The passage started out in verse 21 uh, where they entered Capernaum. Now, don't miss this. 
because these geographic references don't mean a lot to us personally. Um, get this, Jesus, this is what Jesus is like when he's at home. Capernaum is home. It's his hometown, his home village. Um, I, I don't think we, we, we probably don't want to use the word city. It was nothing like that. But this is his hometown. This is what Jesus is like at home. And after he's been out at the seaside and he's collected, invited the first four disciples, and they enter Capernaum. And it says, when the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time in getting to the synagogue, the gathering place of the practicing Jews of the time. Okay? Now, we could miss it in reading it. Uh, the, the Greek uh, text of this paragraph says, when they got or when they entered uh, Capernaum and says something like this, when the Sabbaths ar- arrived... What we're looking at here in this part of the story is a regular practice of Jesus, not just one-off. But we're meant to get the idea that, that in the regular course of the Jewish week, as the Sabbath day arrived, Jesus was in the habit of going into the gathering, the religious gathering place, showing up there, participating. And so when the Sabbaths arrived, Jesus lost no time getting them in a meeting place. And then he spent the day there teaching. And people were surprised at his teaching. Why? As the message has it, it was so forthright and so confident. Um, others, other uh, translations say, uh, this is the NIV, for example, uh, when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, began to teach. The people were amazed at, because he taught them as one who had authority. Again, watch the translators trying to get hold of this story. And there's not one exact English word that fits here. But the idea is of, of confidence. Uh, in the sense, not that Jesus, it's not being said here, you know, he was self-confident. You know, you have that look. I don't know what the look is because I don't have it. Um, you know, uh, but, but that, you know, he, he felt no discomfort in this situation. That's not what we're being told. We don't know whether he felt comfortable or uncomfortable nor is he speaking with authority in the sense that we use the word authoritarian. But he has confidence in the message, in the words, in the, in the truths that he is conversing about. 
Again, we're not looking merely at the behaviors, but at the heart of Jesus. How are we going to assimilate that? And you may pause to think, okay, what would it be like uh, to, to speak up in a context on a regular basis, uh, just as the week goes on, to speak up with a level of, okay, no matter how I feel about this, whether I feel confident in myself, I can speak up because I know what I am sharing has an importance to us. And you can picture in your own mind what that would be. What is your context? Where is your synagogue where people are gathering and you go and you speak up? So, so we, we, we've seen the kinds of people Jesus interacts with. We've noticed when and where he acts. Pay attention then now, if you will, with me to what keeps him going. What do you think it is that keeps Jesus going? It's not energizer batteries, I'll give you that much, that keeps him going and going. What keeps Jesus going? Love as a characteristic of his heart. Good, keep expanding on that. Yeah, I think it's... It's really those two things as that love derives. Jesus is committed, not because he has to be, because it matters to him. He likes to spend time with his Father. It's not in the Gospel of Mark, but in, in, in uh, others of the Gospels, uh, as they're each told with a slightly different perspective, the same stories, we're informed that Jesus would say things like this. Okay. Uh, I, can't, I can't do anything. Unless my father tells me to do it. <laughs> now, as a therapist, I think of this. Okay, if a 33-year-old man comes into my office, says, Mike, I've got this problem. I can't do anything unless my dad tells me I can do it. Uh, you know, we would be looking at some kind of trauma or pathology there. Okay. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. He is so tuned in to God, his father, that he can't wait to meet with him. Uh, we've got the little story here where, where he gets up early and it's still dark even and he slips out of the house and he goes off to a solitary place as he's been involved in all of this and there he prayed. <laughs> and then the disciples, they're great at this. Watch for more of this as the story continues throughout the Gospel of Mark. These guys come to him, and they're like, Jesus, you're doing it all wrong. Jesus, you've got a movement going here. Uh, we, we've got some traction. We've got some momentum. You've got to seize the day and move into it. What are you doing out here praying? Do you know there's, there's 500 people lined up outside the door? You could be really accomplishing something here. 
what are you accomplishing out here in this quiet place? Jesus' connection with his Father, even when the demands for his presence are high, seems to be one of the most heartfelt, deep-seated characteristics of Jesus throughout the stories of the gospel. And again, is there a way we can take that and assimilate it and put it to work in our own lives? We see the kinds of people he interacts with. We notice when and where he, he acts. We pay attention to what keeps him going. And we watch how he does it. Okay. Now, there, there, there's two things that seem to happen in, in, these, in this series of stories that we're looking at this morning, in the vignettes that come up. And we look at them, and we see that Jesus finds himself interrupted, uh, interrupted by his disciples, interrupted by people in need, and interrupted by these uh, immaterial evil presences that are tormenting people's lives. <laughs> so if you go back to that synagogue scene, Jesus is teaching. I, I try to imagine this as someone who's you know done some teaching and standing up front, and all of a sudden this guy hops up. You know, I'm picturing him like, I don't want to point at anybody, right in the middle of the room. <laughs> he pops up, really distressed, really disturbed. People all around are kind of pulling back, at, at right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, and he's yelling out some pretty offensive things. Okay? You know, this guy isn't just creating a disruption, he's actually getting personally offensive and in your face with Jesus. Now it's this, it's this evil spiritual servant of, of the great enemy, the devil, that's, that's driving this. But the man is saying, hey, what business do you have here, Jesus? Okay. Um, I'm not, I'm hoping none of you are going to try this this morning, you know. If, if you need to say something to me, I'm all, <laughs> say it out. We'll talk. I promise you we'll talk and I will listen. Uh, but, but try to picture it. You're up front and you're, you're telling some things. You're, you're explaining. You're, you're confident in what you're saying. And somebody's in your face. I mean, get the picture you know, this guy is right there. He's, he, it's, like, it's like baseball managers talking to umpires. You know, they're, they're poking the finger in the chest. And, and if the camera is zoomed in enough, you know, they're spitting, you know, they're spraying all over him. And this guy is on Jesus. And what business do you have here, Jesus? And then he throws a, a regional racial slur at Jesus. Nazarene. Uh, you might remember from other parts of the gospel. 
people asking a, a known question. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Okay, this, this is the reputation. And so using this regional slur, Nazarene, I know what you're up to. But but Jesus handles this as it comes up. He's unshaken. He's not thrown off by the interruptions. But notice this, okay, and it and it happens throughout. Two things, two two big things are happening that, that people are blown away by. Uh, well, really three, his teaching, his handling of these demonic presences and his authority over them, and his healing of people with illnesses, making them be healthy and whole again. And these things are blowing people away. Okay, So if Jesus was listening to his advisors, especially Simon Peter, seems to be in on this game, and we we suspect uh, probably that Mark wrote this gospel from his personal interactions with Peter as he got the inside line on these stories as God had him write it down. Uh, so Peter was an instigator in this, Simon Peter, and so, you know, Peter is the kind of guy to be thinking, hey, you know what I see here? I see a healing ministry. Oh, we can get posters. Uh, we can, uh, I'm going to show my age because I don't even know how, we, how you do marketing today. Well, I never knew, but, um, you know, posters, <laughs> door hangers. Uh, I'm surely there's like social media or something heard of this thing um help me out here right peter would be like all over this hey you got a thing going here now you need to focus on that so this is going to be our thing jesus and friends healing ministry will get you television time youtube whatever you got to do to get you in front of as many people as possible with this healing ministry And when we just don't see Jesus doing that, there's no pretense, there's no advertising campaign, there's no specialty ministries. Uh, Jesus is tossing these demons around and shutting them up and, and sending them out with all authority. And so it would be somewhat logical to say, Jesus, better than healing. <laughs> This is big time. This is exorcist stuff. People love this. We're going to have a deliverance ministry. Come if you have demons. Let's make a big deal of it. Watch what Jesus does. He does not set his mind and say, this specialty will be my ministry. Jesus lives life and takes these things as they come. Remember, we're looking at the heart, not just the behaviors. Get this heart in mind. 
I don't set the agenda and then run the ministry accordingly if I'm a disciple of Jesus. I spend time with the Father in tune with God. I have no goal, no pretense as far, I'm not opposed to goals, by the way, okay? Don't, don't mistake what I'm sharing here. But what moves it is not the goal, but it's that heart of love in connection with the Father. Um, in verse 38, in fact, uh, although we read it this way, Jesus said, let's go to the rest of the villages. Uh, the wording is fascinating here because in, in our Greek New Testament it says, um, okay, now we may go to other villages and towns and do the work that I came here for. Okay. Now, it's between the lines. We have to speculate. But I, but I think Jesus has, in connection and conversation with his father, he's got the okay. Okay, go do the next thing now. Jesus is operating. <laughs> one, one book that's been influential in my life uh, called Love Walked Among Us. But the reminder there is, as the author looks at Jesus and his love, says this, love is not efficient. (laughs) It's not efficiency and productivity that's driving Jesus, it's love. And by its very nature, love is not efficient. Uh, My summary of, of one portion of the book Love is always, always has these characteristics. It, it, it's real love is free to say yes. It's free to say no. And it's always free to leave room for divine intervention. It sets out on its way, and then God says, oh, interruption. Okay. Real love, free to say yes, free to say no, free to leave room for divine intervention. Well, there's much more uh, we could take from this story. Uh, Someone asked me not too long ago, you know, um, was I anxious about having enough to say uh, on the Sunday I preach and I find, at least for my preparation, it's always about what am I going to leave out, not what am I going to put in. Uh, So I'm going to leave us hanging there a little bit. There's more to be said. Uh, We could could look at this and see how Mark tells the story. Watch the movements from paragraph to paragraph. It's like like Mark is telling a wide-angle story large scenes, and then he hones in on one or two people, and then he pulls back, wide angle, then he goes in for the close-up, and then he pulls back. Just just watch that unfold in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and we could always say, well, decide, although I've been inviting that throughout this morning's talk, uh, What are you going to do with it? 
See, that's the characteristic of stories. Every good story moves us to do something. You can't hear a good story and be unmoved. You're either moved in your emotions, you're moved in your motivations, you're moved in your decision-making, you're moved in your imagination. Every story moves us to do something. And I think Jesus asks us to respond thoughtfully with a full heart and a full mind. Let me close uh, the teaching time with this. Jesus' story is meant for so much more than to set an example which we try our damn best to follow. It's so much more than that. He is not, Jesus is, is so much more than a role model. And if we let him be only that, we've cheated ourselves and we've cheated Jesus. Because the good news tells us that not only did Jesus take on our sin, we know that part of it quite well if we've if we're been exposed to the Christian message. Jesus took on all my bad behavior, past and present and still to come, took it on himself at the cross. But the good news is also this, all of Jesus' perfection and rightness was transferred into us. You see, Jesus is more than a role model to be followed. His is the life that's put into us at the new birth. And the life of Jesus is the life that we can expect to live, not that we aspire to live. It's the life we can expect to live, and believe me, as a counselor, I know that we are most satisfied in life when we live in ways that are consistent with who we really are. That's what brings the real satisfaction in life. Figuring out who I really am and living out from that place. So it's not inappropriate then as, as the musicians come back and as we spend some time uh, praying through music and poetry and then we come to this table <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting that what Jesus gave us to say, remember me. Um, in, the first, in the first case, he didn't say, hi, disciples, I'm about to be gone. I want you to remember me. And so here's a book. Read it. That's not where it started. And believe me, I have great, great value for the scriptures. Don't take me wrong. But in the first instance, Jesus said, here, put this in your mouth. Feel the texture of the bread with your fingers. Smell the scent of the wine. Taste it. Eat it. Digest it. And when you do that, remember me. And so as we sing, as we eat, 
let's remember Jesus until he comes. Father, thank you. Oh, you gave us a real person. Real stories and a real history. And a real character and, and real down-to-earth human interactions. And you said to us, this is the life I give you. Uh, teach me, Lord, to live that life. I forget. Uh, teach my sisters and my brothers here to live with that life. And let us live it by trusting you that what you've done is actually real and true. And we're so glad for that. And so when we, when we eat this and we say this, 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 Jesus, your body cracked and busted and broken for us and this cup is your blood violently spilled from your body for us. And when we do it, we receive that life the good life, the righteous life that you gave us, we take it in and digest it and live with it. We're so glad for that. And we're glad that we can pray and know that you hear us for Jesus' sake and that you make these things true with the limitless power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.